Today in Canadian History for March 8th, I'm Mark Affelt. This episode is a very special episode of Today in Canadian History dedicated to International Women's Day. To learn more about women's history in Canada, I spoke with Mona Gleeson, an associate professor in the Department of Educational Studies at the University of British Columbia, as well as co-editor of Rethinking Canada, The Promise of Women's History. And this is a special extended edition of my talk with Dr. Gleeson. To hear the shortened version, visit todayincanadianhistory.ca. So um, I guess to begin, uh, I'd like to ask, because Rethinking Canada, it's uh, it's currently currently in its sixth edition, I believe. That's right. And um, <clears throat> and I know from what I've seen online, you, you weren't around for the original publication back in the in the 80s. Uh, That's right. But uh, I mean, even just within that time period, there's sixth editions. And I'm, I'm curious, how is the... How has the sort of Canadian academic world um, um, reacted? How is their willingness to to reassess the history of women in Canada? I think there's been a real, actually a real excitement around the entire field. Um, As you mentioned, the the book, Rethinking Canada, which has come to represent a pretty central text for students of um, Canadian social history, in particular Canadian, Canadian women's history, um, it's gone through, you know, various kind of versions because there's there's so much, um, you know, there's almost been sort of an explosion uh, of research and interest in um, women's experiences. So each subsequent volume tries to capitalize on, um, you know, new new research that is often generated by new questions hmm. about. Um, you know, how women lived in the past. And um, I think the the more original editions, which were, um, you know, really pivotal and foundational at the time, um, asked particular questions that were, were relatively broad mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, not that much in the context of Canada had actually been been done up to that point, or it hadn't been done in a way that brought it all together in, in one volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, there was, there was a lot of sort of, um, questions about, uh, women that, that tended not to ask, um, the more, what we might consider today, a sort of a, t- a more refined question, which is which women are we talking about? Okay. So, yeah. So over time, I think one of the, 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 um, the shifts in the field as well as the, 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 the text has been that. Um, we're we're increasingly asking questions like, well, you know, what about the history of Aboriginal women? Mm-hmm. And what about the history of working class women? What about the history of um, Ukrainian Canadian women? Uh, the history of women as laborers, as nurses, as, um, you know, strike breakers. As, so, so, you know, as you can kind of get the sense, the questions are becoming more refined. Mm-hmm. Because we are um, increasingly aware, I think, as scholars, that um, it's it's no longer uh, enough to just sort of lump women together as as one category. Right. That that does a really serious um, injustice to mm-hmm. the the fact that there's uh, so many variables in in women's experiences that really matters. You know what class. Um, identification your your that's either imposed on you or you claim um your racial identity your class your you know whether or not you're labeled with a disability for example which is a real which is a fairly new um kind of um expertise that's that's emerging in the field so 
so yeah, there's. Um, so I think subsequent volumes tell an interesting story about the um, really the richness of mm-hmm. the field and its its growth. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you you mentioned then I guess it's diversity is is sort of what you're getting at that that there's more than just women's history as a whole. Right. And I'm wondering, I mean, was that is that the main um, thing that needs to be, I guess, the main uh, problem that needs to be looked at with, with Canadian history? Or are, are there other problems like, say, um, particularly earlier history? Is it just written from the perspective of men? Yeah, I mean, I think that is, that is definitely sort of um, the, the fact of perspective is a really overarching kind of foundational question that um that that I think continues um to be a concern. Uh I don't think it's the concern in the same way that it was, mm-hmm. you know, say 15 20 um 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um because the uh you know the 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 historical field, the the, the folks who are actually producing history are increasingly diverse, mm-hmm. so that that um, when um, when women began to become PhD students in history in Canada, uh, they started to ask questions about you know um, well where where are the women <laughs> you know uh, and when um, other um, so called minority um, populations mm-hmm. began doing history, people from backgrounds that weren't sort of white middle class backgrounds they be also began to ask questions about um well, what happened to you know my parents were immigrants from Italy um I now have a ph d in history and and uh, I want to know what my what was going on with with immigration what was going on with um with the experience of uh so called sort of hyphenated Canadians mm-hmm. so um, yeah, on one hand, uh, I think there is some vigilance around the idea that um, if history is only coming from one perspective, you're only going to get one story, and you're often going to get a story that um, tends to reproduce relations of power. So uh, if if a more diverse group are asking, are coming from diverse backgrounds, asking diverse questions, you're going to get a really rich spectrum mm-hmm. of historical inquiry. And that's I think that's pretty key, and it's one of the things that, um, of course, happens in other fields, you know, other than just women's history, but this idea that there's not one story about the past. Mm-hmm. It's it's very plural. Um, the way history is, is taught increasingly, I think, is this a very critical attention to the fact that there are there are more than one ways, more than one way rather of um, talking about the past. Right. Well, do you think there's anything about specifically Canadian history that's that's made it? Um, uh, um, I guess that's made it uh, more more diverse. I mean, obviously, the the pioneer experience is there's multiple different backgrounds and things that can be happening. But mm-hmm. I guess I'm wondering how does how does Canadian uh, uh, Canadian assessment of its of, of its history of its women. How does it compare um, to, to to other nations? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question, um, and I think that uh, you know we we can look to other national contexts, and one of the ones that, that kind of immediately springs to mind is um, the United States because you know it's sort of our 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 neighbor, our, mm. our you know very influential force in our culture. Um, as is, you know, historically Britain, for example. Um, but what's interesting is that, uh, and what's important, 
is that context really does matter. And it matters um, in Canadian women's history as it does in, in all other um, fields of, of inquiry in, in you know, in, in the historical sort of production of of knowledge, we need to really be attentive to the fact that um, while there may be some similarities in terms of, uh, you know, the growth of, um, for example, women's um, demand for uh, a place in the labor movement, for example, mm-hmm. or women's experience with, um, you know, a, a domestic uh, separate spheres kind of ideology that permeated um, a lot of uh, the global north and the west um, over the the late the mid to and into the twentieth century, and of course, you know, the fact that these things happened in you know in similar ways, possibly between different countries, doesn't really negate the fact that there are some very particular ways that they that these overarching kind of shifts happened in in context mm-hmm. so that for example the experience of you know you can take a, a very broad theme like the experience of work well you know british women and american women and women in um, uganda and women in um, south africa have all had experience with work but um and, and we can also even i think very broadly um brainstorm about, well, what might tie all those contexts together historically? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, what was it about, for example, the fact that, that women gave birth? What was it about that kind of work that tied all, ties all these contexts together? That's one conversation that, that, you know, we can have and historians think about. But the other conversation, of course, is one that says it really matters deeply that, you know, we have our, that our, our country's history unfolded the way it did. Mm-hmm. That we have a particular political structure and a political economy, um, that we have a particular um, history of, of immigration, that we have a particular history um, of colonization, for example, in Canada. Um, so, so yeah, so it's it's an interesting question that that is is sort of debatable. Um, I I tend to think that. Um, it's good to try to do both. It's good to try to think globally mm-hmm. in terms of what is it about, um, uh, you know, the condition of women around the world that um, that we can draw on as as scholars in a very global community to to try to act for glo- for. Um, positive change, for example, but also, you know, okay, so what's unique about about growing up in Canada as a girl, or and and you know, coming into womanhood in this country, whether it's in the 1960s or at the turn of the century, or you know, earlier, um, to try to balance those two ways of understanding the past is it's difficult, but I think that um, that it's it's scholars in this country are are working to you know, to do that and have been, have been working, have been doing that mm-hmm. for years. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's an important, it's an important sort of thing to keep on the, on the agenda, mm-hmm. I guess. And just a reminder for everyone tuning in, you're listening to a very special extended edition of Today in Canadian History, celebrating International Women's Day. I'm speaking with Mona Gleason, an associate professor in the Department of Educational Studies at UBC, as well as co-editor of Rethinking Canada, The Promise of Women's History. What do you make of the current sort of state of, of how Canadian history or uh, the history of Canadian women in particular mm. is, is being taught to, uh, to young Canadians? Uh, that's a great question. Um, 
History, of course, is, is a, or, or rather teach, like the school system, teaching in the schools is a provincial prerogative. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the way that history is approached, I think it, there are, again, there are some similarities, but it, it, it shifts really? from province to province. I mean, I think that that while on one hand um, there's a, a real uh, push, I think, from scholars in, in Canada who, who work particularly, for example, on history curriculum. There's a push uh, from, from that community to uh, encourage a, a vision of Canadian history that is dynamic uh, for young people and alive and relevant to them. And um, historians actually find that really easy to do. Um, we're, we're not often that great, I would argue, at um, getting the message out to the public that history is a is a really valuable um, way of inter- skill to interpret the world that actually gives us some purchase on um, you know organizing and demanding uh, change if it's needed um, social justice all this stuff so I think there are there are there are folks in the curriculum history of curriculum community who uh, who see history as a as a, a really important um, not only subject, but it, so it's not only like a noun. History is kind of also a verb mm-hmm. in the schools, and um, so they, I think they are they p- push. Um, and when I engage in teaching um, undergraduates who are um, hoping to become teachers, I teach history of education in that context, and also history of of young people and history of family. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a real appetite to know more about. Um, you know, those who are often excluded from mainstream textbooks and mainstream curriculum. So there's an appetite to understand very clearly uh, First Nations, for example, in the BC context, First Nations uh, history mm-hmm. prior to colonization over the colonial period and into um, more contemporary periods. There's a real appetite to understand um, episodes in Canadian history that are only really relatively recently been been given ample and adequate attention in schools. So, for example, Japanese internment, um, treatment of Ukrainian Canadians, um, and including, you know, the uh, broadly the unequal treatment of, of women. Yeah. That, that's coming into the schools more. Um, from, from, you know, from my perspective, I think there's much more that can be done. Right. Much, much more that can be done. Um, but, you know, it's a process. And I think if if historians uh, continue to be committed to those kind of, um, you know, to seeing their work as part of a social justice agenda that's relevant to contemporary Canada, to mm-hmm. change in contemporary Canada, then we've got, I think, really important work that, that we can do. Well, I think in the... Going off what you said there, I think a lot of people, um, and I, I imagine many of our listeners who maybe aren't entirely familiar with uh, historiography and things mm-hmm. of this nature, they might think that um, it was sort of you can you can have a complete picture of history, and and that the, the further we go, the more things we can sort of check off the the women's history, and that we'll eventually be able to form a a perfect history. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's I guess it's kind of not the case. It's not a, an upward climb to a definite end, is it? Yeah, no, and that's one of the, you know, that's one of the um aspects of of, you know, sort of doing history um and producing history uh with a small h 
mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking of history as, with a capital H. So that I think that, you know, part of the, part of the challenge, of course, is that um, many people, I think, who, um, you know, most of your listeners probably took some courses in history, whether it was in, you know, when they were in, in um, elementary school or high school, or if they went on and did, did um, you know, post-secondary sort of schooling, they likely took a course in history. And um, some of them, or many of them even, may have come away from that course thinking, there's there's sort of a grand narrative mm-hmm. to history. It, it started here, and we moved through this time period, and then, you know, New France, and then we did this in World War One, World War Two, and um, we we tend to then accept that as actually how the past happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in you know what um, you know over the last really fifty years, forty, thirty, fifty years, really, if not longer, um, historians have really come to terms with the fact that that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. That you know, if you come from a different perspective, you're going to have a different way of talking about the past, and mm-hmm. you're going to ask different questions. Now, at one point in in um, you know Canadian sort of trajectory of historiography, this this idea that there were multiple ways of telling the past was seen as quite a threat. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was resisted, uh, you know, quite uh, vehemently. Um, it was the fact that that there were all these um, what were sort of, you know, in some ways kind of denigrated as oh these are just specialty boutiquey kind of studies on silly little topics that are so small they don't really matter. Right. Um, and but in fact, over time, um, what has um, I believe come to to um, sort of the fore through all of these interesting unique tales about how people experience the past is that we've we've I think now come to realize that the past is not a grand narrative mm-hmm. it's um it's a series of uh documented I mean I'm not talking about people making stuff up right. there's a rigor to the field these are documented um you know well researched studies that that look at the past from a, a, a different perspective and ask a different question. Mm-hmm. And just the sheer, you know, one of the things that women's history, um, you know, brought to the, to the broader landscape of, of Canadian history and Canadian social history was such a clear, uh, such a, um, a really immense shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, putting on the table that, um, you know, if you just ask, ask about an event from the perspective of a woman, right. a whole new vista opens about what the significance of an event, of mm-hmm. any given event, might be. So, um, yeah, so I think that in the way that labor historians have done this, um, historians of immigration have done this, historians of children and youth are doing, the, doing it most contemporarily, I think, um, and, and a whole host of others are um, really in like it's it's about an enrichment mm-hmm. of our past, and it's making it relevant to to people. I mean, if you if you study history and never see anything of your own your own personal history, never see anything of your family's history reflected in those in that grand narrative, uh, it can be pretty alienating. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so it's it's uh, the the value of of women's history, um, the value of a range of perspectives 
is that I think we get closer to understanding that um, we're a multiple, we're a country in multiplicity. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not a daunting prospect. I think that's an enriching prospect. Right. So for something like International Women's Day, where there's events happening uh, not only across Canada, but across the world, do you think uh, a proper attention is being given to, to the history, to women's history, as well as um, um, to sort of modern movements? Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question. Um, it's it's fascinating to me that um, you know I think that the I think that a great well I shouldn't speak can say a great majority because I don't I don't know but I I think there's uh, you know there there might be not really the understanding or there might be a um, a misconception that that International Women's Day is uh, a, a contemporary. Um, sort of doff of the hat to women. Right. Oh, let's stop everything that we're doing and thank, you know, look mm-hmm. around us and thank the women in our midst. Um, you know, International Women's Day has a long history mm-hmm. and it's rooted in um, political struggle. I think one of the things that I I find um, important to remember about International Women's Day is uh, there, there, and you know this. It's, it's interesting because this is also in keeping with how um, my colleagues uh, Adele Perry and Tamara Myers um, and I approached this edition of Rethinking Canada. There was this real sense in which we wanted to um, honor and talk about the, the some of the, the the incredible gains that women have made. Mm-hmm. In various domains, you know, in political domains, in work, in in education, in science and technology, there's there's um, a definite um, place of pride, right, for all all women and especially young women to be able to look to all of those fields and many more and see, um, you know, uh, women as role models, women who have who have done who are, who have done and are doing incredible things who are bringing us so much closer to notions of equity. But, you know, so we wanted to honor that in in the volume, the newest edition. But we also knew that it was really important for us to remind um, Canadians and and young women reading and, and, you know, everyone who might pick up the book um, to remind remind them that there are still some um, very basic issues that continue to, uh, you know, um, be very problematic, mm-hmm. particularly in a country like Canada that is rich and um, by some standards very, you know, some some would uh, um, characterize it as quite progressive. Um, you know, there's, there's still uh, a disproportionate number of women, for example, who are um, victims of violence, mm-hmm. uh, Aboriginal women and women who are, uh, racialized as non-white um, are not, you know, often, you know, some, not not all, of course, but but many are not enjoying the fruits of these these labors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there needs to be, I think, a smart uh, kind of canny approach to something like Women's International Women's Day. On one hand, I I think it ne- it needs to be read as a a moment to celebrate. And to acknowledge, uh, I think it's also um, it's it's it can it can in some ways, and this not to sound melodramatic, but it it can in some ways also signal a bit of a day of mourning, right? 
um, because we still are, um, you know, struggling with very, very problematic issues that that keep women um, in their place, right. for lack of a better phrase, which is um, not equal to to men. Uh, and so those those dynamics of power um, for many big issues uh, need to need to shift. And I mean, they need to shift in Canada, of course. Um, and it also reminds us that um, you know we need to bring a gender, a really gender-based analysis to um, events that have happened in the past and that are unfolding in our world contemporarily. Events like what's happening in the Middle East. There's there's a gendered. Um, you know, we need to think about how women are playing into revolutions and not only the incredible leadership that they're showing, but also. The, the grievances that they're bringing, and I think we need to be vigilant, uh, you know, in our excitement about um, the possibilities for democratic uh, revolutions. We need to ensure that you know it's a true democracy mm-hmm. uh, that everyone's benefiting, including women, from from these things. So, yeah, International Women's Day is 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 kind kind of has that those two. I hope you know those those two sentiments going hand in hand. And once again, that was Mona Gleason, an associate professor in the Department of Educational Studies at the University of British Columbia, as well as co-editor of Rethinking Canada, The Promise of Women's History. Just a reminder, this was an extended version of my talk with Dr. Gleason. To hear the shortened version, as well as all of our past episodes, visit todayincanadianhistory.ca. Today is a day full of Canadian history. The British North America Act was passed by the British Parliament on this day back in 1867. After receiving royal assent from the Queen, the BNA came into effect on July 1st of that year. And in 1982, the British House of Commons passed a sort of sequel, the Canada Act, which patriated Canada, in effect ending all remaining legislative dependence of Canada on the United Kingdom. And as always, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM. The executive producers are Joe Burma and Mark Affeld. Original music is produced by the Fisk, Fletcher, and May Trio. Our series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cjsw.com slash today in Canadian history. And now for your random piece of Canadiana. If you're wondering why it took so long for Canada to break its institutional ties with the UK, worry not. Both Australia and New Zealand followed in Canada's footsteps and patriated in 1986, four years after us.